News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. You are listening to Right Side Radio. I'm your host, Phil Williams, where we are solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hey, listen, I want to tell you real quick before we get started with a new friend who's in the uh, in the uh, studio with us right now. But I got some folks that I know personally that do amazing work at ZLA Solutions. If you're not familiar with ZLA Solutions, take a look at their website, ZLAUSA.com. ZLA Solutions, if you're, if you're an employer looking to hire people, whether it be skilled labor, manual labor, uh, white collar, it doesn't matter. They are your staffing source and they can make sure you've got them. But if you're also looking for, looking for a job yourself, they've got jobs posted on their website right now. They handle logistics, management, all of it. They are ZLA Solutions. They like to say, we don't make it, we just make it better. And it's true. ZLAUSA.com, find out more. But right now, I want to get back to the topic at hand. Today on Right Side, we've been spending some time unpacking the Alabama Policy Institute's new legislative scorecard. It's about accountability, folks. It's about making sure the general public knows what their legislators are doing in the state house. Now, what we did was we took a number of bills and we gave a very solid, footnoted, researched, conservative position, yes or no, on that particular bill. We call those key votes. But then we also included things like, did that uh, legislator actually help raise your taxes in what we call local bills, little bills that only your local delegation truly had to support to make it happen. And they fly under the radar a lot of times and you didn't know you're paying more sales tax or occupational tax. Does that legislator have good public access? Like you know where to find them. They do town halls. They have websites. They're on social media. They give public statements. A lot of them don't believe it or not. And then attendance, that should not be a thing y'all. And if you were elected to the Alabama House or the Alabama Senate, I would hope you're going to show up for the job. And I get it. If you're sick one day, you can't do the job. But if you're out for two or three years, like one of our state senators, never showing up because allegedly your health is bad, well, perhaps it's time for you to find a new job. And your constituents might want to know that you're not showing up. All these things are wrapped up into a scorecard that we call the API watch list. And the API watch list came out today. This is breaking news right now. It is out there for all to see. We only had four state senators that scored 100%. Believe it or not, they're all in the listening area here right now. But we only had, I believe, 10 out of 105 members of the Alabama House that also scored 100. And, you know, truthfully, it shouldn't be hard to score 100, especially when we announce ahead of time what's going to be on the test. You think they'd look at the answers. But the reality is, They'll say they're conservative and very often vote differently when they get down to the state house, but not the guy who's sitting in with us right now. Uh, I'm pleased to have in the studio with us right now uh, State Representative uh, Andrew Sorrell, and uh, Andrew has been in office now since 2018. Uh, he's currently also a candidate for Alabama State Auditor, a statewide office being vacated by uh, Jim Ziegler, who is uh, termed out. He scored 100% on API's new scorecard. And he also, I will point out, too, that he won what is called the Policy Warrior Award from the Alabama Policy Institute uh, just about a year ago uh, for being the only member of the entire House and Senate uh, to vote against uh, bills that raise taxes or, or spent money uh, in what we consider to be a largely unfettered fashion. Representative Sorrell, welcome to Right Side Radio. Well, congratulations on your new show, Phil, and I certainly do appreciate you having me on on the first day. I didn't know I was going to be following David McIntosh. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you you have your you have your own cult following, so you're you know you're good. No, but uh, yeah, we really appreciate you being on. And uh, so you've been in office since 2018. Obviously, you have this uh, quadrennium left to complete. 
Um, and and I want to get into your race for state auditor in a minute and honor the fact that you are running for office. Even has the monogrammed shirt on right now, y'all, that says Andrew Sorrell, state auditor. But all that to say, let me, let me touch on the scorecard first. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you because apparently to get 100% of the scorecard was harder than we thought it was going to be. Um, and, and truly, you know, you do want it to sort of rank people. You want to know where they are. And we already knew you were truly a fiscal conservative. Um, uh, and this implies from looking at it that you are sort of an all-around conservative, I would, I would, I would dare say. Um, give me your thoughts, though on the ideas of accountability for public officials. First of all, I love the fact that y'all are doing a scorecard now. I I really appreciate that because I tell you, I take a lot of heat in the legislature for the way that I vote. It's not always popular voting no, and I vote no more than anyone else in the legislature. And it's not because I enjoy it. It's not because I get a kick out of it or some thrill out of it. The truth is I hate it. I wish I never had to vote no in the legislature, but there's bad bills. Phil, there's bills that that where the state of Alabama is borrowing money. We have larger budgets every single year. Why are we borrowing money? People say, well, you must hate the state parks. You voted against the $80 million bond issue. No, I love our state parks. But my question is, in a year where we're spending hundreds of millions more dollars in our general fund budget, why are we having to borrow money for the state parks? That's the question that we should be asking. And I vote no on budgets that grow the size and scope of government. So my first year, I voted yes on both. And then I realized, wait a minute, if our budgets are growing by 5 and 6% a year, but inflation is 2% a year, am I guilty of growing government? And I had to stop and admit that, yes, I am. And I ran as a small government conservative, and I couldn't do that anymore, Phil. So for the last two years, I voted no on the budgets, and that hasn't been easy either. And then the, an easy vote for me, though, was voting no on new taxes, right? That's, that should be very basic conservatism, I and mean, people expect if they're going to vote for a Republican that you're not going to raise their taxes. So I voted against every tax increase that's come before me in the legislature, and also hidden tax increases, which they go by another name down there. They're called fees. And every fee increase, $5 on your boat tag, or $10 on the – it's just a tax, Phil. That's all it is. I had a guy – no I this. had a state senator give me a call, and he says, hey, man, I uh, just want to make sure you're clear. You're clear. All right, I served eight years down there. I'm clear, dude. But he, he says, I want to make sure you're clear. I, I've got this local bill. It's not a tax. All it does is add a fee to the uh, to the uh, you know the failure to pay you know your, your occupational tax or something like that. And I said, no, it's called a tax. He goes, no, it's a fee. And I said, it's called a tax, and that's the way we're going to grade it. And he goes, well, I guess we'll have to differ. And I said, I guess we own the report. <laughs> you know, but the reality is, go ahead and vote your conscience, man. But in the end, just be willing to stand behind it. If you, if you, if you vote a certain way, you should be able to look your constituents in the eye and tell them why. I'll never forget having to face, you know, and, and, I, and I, I used to go, and after a while I realized it didn't matter whether I did or not. I used to go to the teachers' union meetings. They would, they would literally say, your time to show up is here, and they expected you to be there. And we had, you know, tried to revise some of the retirement systems because of the way it was so underfunded and uh, increased their contributions. And I'll never forget, the guy in the back of the room says, uh, hey, Senator, you going you gonna to give us back that contribution? And I said, no. And the whole room just quiet, like they didn't expect to hear the no. And, and, and I, but anyway, all said and done, we, we've, we've got accountability, and that's what this is about. This is about making sure people understand what's happening in the state house. And being able to well informed ask questions. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this scorecard for me was that, like you said, it's actually pretty easy to score 100 because you give us the answers before we take the test. I mean, it wasn't, I knew every vote I took, I knew if it was going to be on the scorecard or not, and I know which way API wanted me to vote. And I wouldn't say I voted that way because I knew it was going to be on the scorecard. I would have voted that way anyway. That's just how I vote. But if anybody wants to make 100, it's very simple. It's not like it's a complex formula to make 100. But this is the third scorecard that's come out in the last six or so months. 
And the other two scorecards also rated me number one. The American Conservative Union scorecard came out last week. I was the only legislator in Alabama to score 90% or above. The Club for Growth, you had David McIntosh on a little while ago. The Club for Growth scorecard was the highest, uh, highest scoring official in Alabama. So I'm proud of my conservative voting record. And I think that my strong record on fiscal conservatism does make me a perfect candidate for state auditor. I know we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I think who do you want to be your state auditor rather than somebody that is a proven fiscal conservative? Well, and, and there you go. And, you know, getting back to this scorecard, too, uh, it, it, you said it. We, we give out the ingredients to the secret sauce. You'd think they'd know how to make the secret sauce at that point. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's no big secret. Uh, the, the, the bills that were key votes were labeled well in advance. And that was, by the way, that was one of our commitments. One of our commitments to the legislative body was we're going to tell you in advance what we're caring about, what we're grading. You will know in advance. We will not come in after the fact and grade you on that thing that you didn't know we were looking at. Not that that should matter, but the reality is we thought it was a courtesy, and so we did. Um, now, you know, and I and I and I see different things too. Like um, I think too often there are nuances to the bills that get left out of the discussion. Uh, one of the things that frustrated us at API was that gas tax vote a couple of years ago when I was still in the body. I actually voted against the gas tax, and then. Of course, it passed, and I know you voted against it, the most recent iteration that did pass in, what, 2019, I believe. Yes. Um, and, and that being said, though, people were not even discussing at the, at the well of the podium in debating the bill the fact that here they were telling the, the, the general public of Alabama, you need more money for roads and bridges. Well, we know roads and bridges cost money. That's true. But if they cost money and you need more money, then why do we keep taking money out of the current road and bridge fund to give to things that are not roads and bridges? Like the court system has paid $64 million a year out of the road and bridge fund. Why do we keep doing that? Why do we have to raise more taxes without doing reforms? And well, and you, you've seen over over the successive years after 2019, again, the general fund budget has grown by hundreds of millions of dollars since then. Could we not have cash flowed some of these needed repairs for roads and bridges? So I was never against more money for roads and bridges. I think everyone agrees we need more money for roads and bridges. I would have done one of two things, Phil. I would have voted for more money in the budgets to go to roads and bridges. That would have been fine. Any increase we have, let's put towards roads and bridges if that's going to be our priority. Or let's do some kind of revenue neutral approach. Let's cut the grocery tax an equal amount to we're raising the gasoline tax or something like that. I might could have gotten behind a revenue neutral proposal. But to go in there on my first vote and vote against 88% of my district, and that's what the polling was. I did, I did a telephone poll in State House District 3, 600 respondents, 88% of people voted no in my poll. I wasn't going to go to the legislature my first week and vote against 88% of my district. That's that's pretty common sense. Well, and, and that's interesting you say that because so many um, elected officials at different levels, and I don't mean just the legislature, I'm talking about things like even your county school board, your county commission, your city councils, they forget that when they get in that position, they are still beholden to those who sent them there. And they should, they should do exactly what you just did, which is get a sense. Now, at some point, you have to, as a legislator or any elected official, vote your own personal conscience. You have to also vote the things you ran on, but you have voted on what you ran on, so that makes it easy. But, but the reality is, if you lose touch with those you represent, then at some point, all you're doing is acting on your own best interest, and that's it. I think the important thing is to have your district know where you're going to stand on your what, – what's your general political philosophy? You don't have time to poll every single issue. I only polled the gas tax because it was like a huge issue. It was a defining issue of this quadrennium. 
I've never polled another issue in my district. I don't have time or the money to poll every issue. We take three, 400 votes a year. But people know my political philosophy is small government conservatism. And if they know I'm staying loyal to that, Phil, sometimes they don't like the way I vote, but they're never surprised by it, right? No one in my district is like, oh my goodness, Sorrell <laughs> voted no on this bill that grew government. Nobody's ever shocked by that. But Sorrell's Sorrell, pro I you like Texas. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That, that's not confusing for anybody. You know, I'm pro Second Amendment. I carry the constitutional carry bill in the House. People were laughing when I introduced it in 2019, said this bill will never move. I got it out of committee for the first time in the House this year. The Public Safety Committee voted it out, eight to four. So I think it passed in, uh, what, Arizona or Kansas this year, I believe? Yeah, I think Tennessee passed it. Texas just passed it. We're up to 20-some states now that have it. We're the reddest state in the nation. We haven't moved constitutional carry yet. But you've seen the momentum building now. And in the Alabama House, they had 24 co-sponsors on the bill this year, including a couple members of Republican leadership. We're going to see that bill on the floor next year. Absolutely. And and, and you just said something, though. And I'm going to go ahead and, and, and ding this issue right now. Because you just said we are the reddest state in the nation. That's speaking of party affiliation. We are not the most conservative state in the nation based on what we saw out of the legislature this past year. And, and there's a vast difference between being a, a, a conservative and being a Republican. Well, there's a big disconnect between like sometimes public perception doesn't translate into public policy. How the public feels on a certain issue doesn't necessarily translate. There's all the other factors at play. There are the people who maybe want to make friends with certain people in the legislature so they vote a certain way. Maybe they want a committee assignment or you know, maybe they're trying to make some lobbyists happier. For whatever reason, they're not really representing the majority of their district the majority of the time, which I think is a good way to define a legislator's job. Represent, vote the majority of your district the majority of the time. That's all anybody can ask you to do. Yeah, that and you know, here's the other thing. Read the bills because it's amazing to me how many legislators don't read the bills. They take the sound bites or what somebody told them in the hallway on the way to the vote, and they vote that way. And and, and that's got to stop. I mean, these bills, by the way, typically are not huge omnibus pieces of legislation. A lot of times they, they average, you know, four to six, seven, eight pages long. But but truth be told, if you're going to read, if you're going to have the bill for a vote, like, like the medical marijuana bill this year, which API opposed, and we opposed on a variety of angles, though, nobody's talking, taking, talking about the fact that that bill raised taxes. We don't tax prescriptions in the state of Alabama, right. and yet you just created a prescription that's going to be taxed at nine cents on the dollar. Well, it's only four cents on the dollar for everything else in the state. So you more than doubled the sales tax rate on a thing that shouldn't even be taxed at all, and no one wanted to talk about that in the debate. Well, it wasn't just that, Phil. As you well know, it was also, you know, these who's going to have the dispensaries, how many is there going to be, where are they going to be located? It was all these like government-sponsored monopolies, basically. Same thing in the gambling bill. There's going to be X number of casinos. Here's where they're going to go. And if you want to open a casino, Sorry, Alabama's not free market. Donald Trump Jr. came out and actually I felt vindicated what I've been saying on the radio for months, which was this is not a free market bill. You need to vote no. Donald Trump Jr. actually tweeted about Alabama's gambling bill. It was so bad. Yeah, he did. Makes me wonder why uh, we didn't see uh, uh, Donald Trump be able to do a a, a gathering just recently down at the uh, battleship. I think there's certain people that didn't want to hear what he had to say about the gambling bill from the stage. but uh, you know, listen, we're gonna we're gonna be going to a break here in just a moment. I want you to stay on with us through the break, um, and then and then let's talk about auditor. And uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, man. I'm, I'm gonna be straight up. I, at one point, I thought maybe the position of auditor needs to go away. I mean, can we not just fold that thing into? Um, you know, the Department of Public Examiners or something like that. But uh, I have a feeling you've got some ideas about how you want to handle that position. And uh, I think we've got a break coming up, Copper, here uh, right about now. So let's, uh, let's do this. We will, uh, we will hold on through the break. You are listening right now to 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. That is Right Side Radio, by the way, where we are solid, conservative, and just plain right. 
News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. This is Phil Williams hosting Right Side Radio. Day one, day one of the Right Side Empire, Copper. We are, we are going at it. 92.5 has been great to have us on, and we like to say that we are solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hey, listen, before I get into uh, discussions uh, with, with our friends in the studio here, uh, Representative Andrew Sorrell, I want to just remind you guys about a company called E-Tax Breaks. E-Tax Breaks is huge. They do great work. You can find their website, by the way, at www.etaxbreaks.com taxbreaks.com. They've been around for 23 years identifying tax credits and other things that are available to you through federal and state programs as a business. All you got to do is go to their website, plug in your data. They'll tell you if it appears you qualify for things you may not have known you even qualified for. I've seen them even wipe out a company's tax liability because of things they didn't know that they could do based upon who they had hired or where they had located their business. It's huge. And listen, go to www.etaxbreaks.com forward slash right side because they are tracking what we talk about here. Listen, I'm going to get back to a discussion uh, with a friend, someone who has uh, voted consistently, conservatively. It's State Representative Andrew Sorrell, who's in studio right now. So you heard me saying earlier, if you've been listening to the show, the Alabama Policy Institute, which I am also affiliated with, uh, recently came, recently, today, came out with our, our legislative scorecard. There were very few members of the 140-member body of the House and Senate who scored 100%. And one of those is sitting like two feet away from me right now, State Representative Andrew Sorrell. Andrew, thanks again for staying on through the break. Appreciate you having me on, Phil. Really do. Absolutely. Well, listen, um, I said right before the break, that so you're running for state auditor, my brethren. And uh, that's a position that I just didn't see as being a big deal. Now, I know who you are. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you've probably been thinking this through and you have a reason for it. And so with the couple of minutes we have left, I know there was a bill recently to do away with the entire office of state auditor. That's right. Why do you want to run? Yeah. Two years ago, my first year in the legislature, there were two different bills introduced in the, in the Senate to eliminate the auditor's position. And those bills forced me to do some research on the auditor's office. I didn't know a lot about it either. And I was like, hey, you know, what does this office do? Is this something we could afford to do without? I'm a small government guy. I thought, hey, maybe we could cut an office here and, you know, maybe save the taxpayers a little bit of money. So I started digging into this office. Of course, I went and talked to the current state auditor and I found out what the auditor did. And I thought, you know what? No, I don't think we need to get rid of this office for less than a million dollar budget. Phil, we have an office that audits $1.7 billion of state property spread out over 176 different state agencies. And the office tells me 1% of state property goes missing every year. That's a lot of money. All mm. right. We are losing a lot of money. Now, the mm. question you got to ask yourself is if we didn't have an auditor, if we didn't have somebody going behind and checking and make sure, making sure that the pickup trucks and the desk and the computers weren't walking away, then how much property would we be losing? Would it be three or 4%? I think the million-dollar budget is very well spent on the state auditor. State auditor, So that's one of the duties the auditor has is auditing the property. Another, people don't realize the auditor position actually has a lot to do with safe and secure elections. The auditor appoints registrars in 66 of the 67 counties. Every county except Jefferson County has a registrar appointed by It's the always guard, Jefferson County, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I think their county commission picks theirs. They probably did some local bill years ago probably. to change that or something. But anyway, so – um, I, I intend to pick people who not only will you know register you to vote, but more importantly, perhaps, is keep the voter rolls clean. Get those people off the voter rolls that, like our Secretary of State says, they've moved away, passed away, or been put away. Those people need to be off the rolls as potential voter fraud. So the auditor has a role to play with safe and secure elections. And the other thing the auditor does is serves on the Board of Adjustment. So as you know, you can't sue the state. It's a sovereign entity. But if you have a valid claim against the state, you can put it in with the Board of Adjustment, and they will adjudicate those claims quarterly. 
Well, that, that's that's huge. I, I, I knew you had some. I knew you had a bead on it, man. And and Jim Ziegler, uh, um, you know, for all his warts and blemishes, he also made people uncomfortable at times because he did his job. And uh, and and so the best of luck to you in the days to come. Uh, I would personally uh, miss having your votes in the legislature, but uh, I would be uh, pleased to also know that you're you're holding people accountable for the office of state auditor. So, State Representative Andrew Sorrell, candidate for state auditor. Uh, look him up. You do have a website, I believe. Uh, AndrewSorrell.com. That sounds easy. AndrewSorrell.com. Hey, Phil Williams, 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN, Right Side Radio. We are a solid conservative and just plain right, and we got one hour left. WVNN Athens, WVNN FM Trinity, Accumulus Station.